0: welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do that right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning, and you're going to want to check them out. Now, today on the show, our first segment is called Getting Back to Normal. We're going to be talking about Well, you know, the COVID restrictions lifting, people getting back to work, kids getting back to school, we're going to dive into how to make a smooth transition for your dog back to normalcy. Then we'll have our breed of the week, followed by a segment called Queen Victoria's Animal Menagerie, talking all about the queen and all of her animals, pets, dogs, and the impact she really had on the animal world. Then comes the listener Q&A, and if you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, first thing I want to do before we get started, I want to give a big thank you, a big shout out to all of you. Really, thank you guys so much because I have a great announcement, something very exciting. Speak a Dogcast, you know what? This week we reached number 30 on the Pets and Animals category on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, number 30, that's Awesome. That's the highest we've climbed. You know, we've been I'm so grateful and lucky that we've been sitting in the top 10% on Apple Podcasts for quite a while, but we reached number 30 in our category, and that's just phenomenal. And really, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for the support, and thank you for listening. Phenomenal. Ah, just awesome, exciting. So also before we get started, I have to give you guys that trivia question. So let me go ahead and give that to you. The trivia question today is, how old was the world's oldest dog? How old was the world's oldest dog? Now, of course, I will give you that answer to the question somewhere in the podcast today. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's a segment called Getting Back to Normal. Now this past year, or a little over a year now, it's been hard on all of us, right? It's been really tough, it's been near impossible in so many ways, personal, you know, professional, and getting back to normal. A lot of the states are lifting restrictions now, we're starting to transition back here, um, you know, you kids, more, more and more schools are, are going to be starting to reopen. And so how do we get back to normal? With our dogs, with our pets, that's something we definitely need to be thinking about, right? Now, recently, of course, I've been getting an uptick in phone calls for dogs with anxiety issues, separation anxiety that's forming, behavioral issues that have seemingly come out of nowhere. It's a lot of what I'm hearing, right? Now, uh, look, I, I know that the behaviors might seem like they're coming out of nowhere but in reality there was probably some issues beforehand but because the dog was you know more getting out more more there was more stimulation probably going for more walks it was more of a routine pre-corona pre all this going on then these behaviors that are coming out now hadn't really manifested but everything with the isolation maybe lack of routine lack of exercise lack of walking all these things then add up to make it bubble over And now we see these worse behaviors coming out, right? So I've definitely been seeing that uptick, like I said, in phone calls for for separation anxiety and, and these seemingly, you know, again, out of nowhere behaviors, but not necessarily the case, okay? But the isolation, all those things, it has pushed it over the edge, it has. So, you know, What do we do to get back to normal? What do we do to make our dogs more well-adjusted? And especially, like I said, when we start going back to school, when we start going back to work, when the house is starting to be empty for more than just maybe an hour at a time, what are our dogs, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond to that? And, you know, the answer is some of them, they're not going to do so well with it. They're not. And I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't. This is this has been tough enough on all of us. And the dogs are picking up on that. They pick up on our stress. Everybody knows that. They pick up on our stress. They pick up on our feelings. They do our emotions to some degree. Are they reading our emotions? Let's not get into this conversation today, guys. But no, they're not like reading our emotions. They're not a tarot card reader. They're not, you know, <laughs> they're, they're not a mind reader. It's nothing ridiculous or absurd like that. But Dogs will definitely, when you're stressed, right? When you're, when you're stressed or you're scared or something, what happens? You sweat. And that first little bead of sweat that comes out of your armpit, I got news for you. Your dog smells it before you even know you're nervous. And that's the thing. They, they, they pick up on scent. They pick up on body language cues and patterns. So again, this past year, if it's been hard on you, it's been hard on your pet. I can pretty much guarantee that at some point or another, you know, maybe they're coping with it overall pretty well, but there's been stressful moments for sure, for sure. So it's been hard on us. It's been hard on our on our dogs, right? So how do we transition back to normal? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that today. And to me, the first thing we actually have to talk about is, is more the human side of it, how it's affected us. And you know, I'm going to just talk about my experience with it. Cause that's, that's what I know in this whole thing. That's, um, you know, and obviously it, it goes without saying that it's been tough. I mean, we can all say that we've all said it. It's been an impossible, tough, hard year. And at the beginning of this, I did, I had to shut down my business for a couple months, which, uh, you know, it stinks. It was not fun losing income for a few months. And then of course, trying to rebuild the business back once things could start to slowly reopen, figuring out how to do that, um, you know, figuring out how to accommodate my my clients in the safest, best way we possibly could at the beginning of all this, when there was more unknown, there were more unknowns, and uh, social distancing training and outdoor training and trying to hand off the leash less and masks and you know the, the whole thing. It was just it was it was a lot, and it's been a lot, and it's been um, taxing on all of us. And I don't even know that we fully have seen the amount of stress and 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 toll that it's taken us on us individually, myself as well. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. I think I've just now in the past maybe few months started to realize um, how much it's affected me in a lot of different ways. I mean, obviously some of them I'm, we're all aware of and I became aware of, but things like I was discovering, my energy levels were really tanked. Now, part of it is um, I'm, I'm lucky, I'm grateful, I really am. Business has been growing lately. And it's, it's wonderful. And the opportunities I've been getting with, uh, again, with the, with the training business, with the podcast, it's been awesome. It really has. And I'm, I, I love it and it comes with a lot of hard work. That's, that's the truth of it. You know, anything that's anything that's worth having takes hard work. Right. And I've really been trying to put my head down and and chug away at this and business has been great. But again, what comes with that is lack of extra time, (laughs) uh, lack of time for myself, And what I really mean by that is lack of time for paying attention to what I'm eating, maybe preparing healthy meals, not exercising as much as I should. Now, I walk every single day pretty much. You know, there's very few days I don't go for walks, weather or what have you. But I walk all the time. I walk at sessions with dogs. I bring dogs along. I'm constantly walking and I'm still not in the best of shape. (laughs) And it, like, it's because I, I don't stretch enough, I don't eat well enough because it's been go 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 so you grab food on the run, you you do what you got to do, right? To to work and and kick butt working and that's what I've been trying to do and give it give my all to my my client dogs and my clients and um again, it, it's it's taken a toll on my energy levels, my my habits and I've had to realize that. I've seen that my work life balance is out of balance. It's it's too much work and not enough life balance for myself. And that means I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not, uh, as well as I should be. So, you know, it leads to being overweight. <laughs> even with all the walking I do, it's amazing what a poor diet, not doing enough cardio, even though I walk, I need to be doing a little more cardio, I definitely need to be doing uh, more for my core, more more of that real exercise. And again, I recognize this, look, I'm, I'm working with a trainer now, and I love her. She's she's awesome. She's been phenomenal so far. We're early in you know, early into it, but I love it so far. I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> you know, I hate it, but I love it. We're changing the diet, and you know what? It's good, it's good and it feels good, I have to say. And so, really, what I'm trying to get at here is you have to get yourself in a good place first. And it's it's taken my wonderful, beautiful wife Jen pointing this out to me probably more times than I care to admit, um, that I need to take care of myself better and and find that better work-life balance to be able to serve my clients and the dogs in, in the same way, but making more time for myself to make sure I'm eating well, I'm exercising, I'm doing the things I need to do to put myself in a good place. Look, it, it, it's it's a it's a funny way to say it i guess and maybe a little morbid but when the plane's going down what do they tell you put your mask on before you put your kids mask on right that's the essence of it right there you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of everything else because if i'm not if you're not if we're not in the best of mental or physical shape then we're not at our best to be able to handle our jobs our personal lives we could be doing better and it's not to say you can't kick butt uh, draining yourself at your job because you can, but at some point there'll be a tipping point and it's going to be too much. And I'm glad that, again, uh, thank you, Jen. I love you, and I'm so glad you pointed it out to me before it got to that tipping point. And, you know, we're taking care of it now. All right, so let's talk about the dogs. Let's talk about the pets. Let's talk about the animal side. Uh, but, again, I think it's important that you you get yourself there first. I'm just going to reiterate it. Get yourself there first. <laughs> okay, so the dogs. Where does it start with your dogs? And you know where it starts? It starts with the same place with us. Getting them in a better physical and mental state. Now, I can probably almost guarantee that a majority of you have not been sticking to a good routine with your dog, right? I mean, come on. I, I'm not I'm not judging you right now. Again. Come on, this year, no, no judgment, okay. Uh, and truthfully, hey, look, my job's not to judge. I don't, I don't. I really try not to judge my clients. It's not my job to judge. It's my job to, to, yeah. You know, as I've said before, be truthful, be honest, give you my honest assessment of what I see. And it's not a judgment thing. It's just a hey, this is what it is. This is how we fix it. This is how we move on. And that's awesome if we can, right? Simple as that. So. Not a judgment thing, but you've probably strayed from your routine with your dog in the past year, I'm sure. And that is definitely part of the problem. And we probably haven't been walking our dogs enough. And as I always say, get out there, walk your dogs. Definitely the most important part of your training. This is going to be the most important part of getting your dog back to normal, of transitioning them back to normalcy. Exercise, 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 exercise. I can't stress it enough. It's going to be the best thing for your dog's mental state and, of course, their physical state. But exercise, it has to start with a proper walk, a good walk. Then, of course, we can supplement it with playtime, whether it's, you know, tossing a ball, just playing with toys, maybe going swimming. You can always go down the agility course set work, dock diving, all those different fun things. Uh, but it always comes down to starting with a good, proper, healthy walk. But a side note on that. Doggy day camp facilities, guys, uh, especially if we're doing like agility courses, especially if we're doing things that really, um, you know, go into fulfilling the dog's instinct. I'm all about it. That is a great way to supplement your dog's energy levels, get them down, get them in a better state mentally um, to be able to get used to you guys leaving again, right? So, something to think about. Okay, get your dogs involved in some fun sport like that. It'd be really, it's cool, it's a lot of fun, and it goes a long way for them, okay? So that's the first thing, right? Exercise, exercise, exercise. Go for that good walk with your dog. Then we gotta talk about structure. Now, structure starts with exercise. As I've talked about before, you know, the walk is a wonderful way to start implementing the most basic basic forms of structure to your dog, okay? So, structure kinda goes with that exercise a little bit, but structure also is routine routine and structure. Those are sort of the two next words we're going with. And they go hand in hand, right? Um, wake up and go for a walk in the morning, right? It, it, create that routine. This is, Create that routine. Wake up, let your dog relieve themselves, of course. Go for the good pack walk. Come back, we feed them. Maybe we have some playtime. We'll let them relieve themselves again. Uh, maybe even a little more playtime. If you have that kind of time in the morning, phenomenal. And then they go in their crate, you go to work. That might be the normal routine when you get you know, when you, when you go back to work, when everything gets back to normal here. Um, so what you're going to have to do is sort of create that routine before you go back to work. So you're going to wake up, you're going to do your normal thing, walk, feed, play time. And then I want you to put your dog in the crate, even if you're not leaving for the day. If that's what your normal thing is, put the dog in the crate. If your normal thing is leaving the dog out in the house, well, then guess what? leave the dog out in the house, get in your car, leave, go drive around the block or whatever for 10 minutes, run around the corner to the store and then come back. Okay. Whether you're putting him in the crate, whether you leave him in the house, either way, leave for 10 minutes and come back. And then you can see what happens and see how your dog did. You want to try to create that structure and that routine mimicking what you'll be doing. And we're just going to start with 10 minutes of it, right? 10 minutes with you away from the house. Then we can work them up to 20 minutes. 30, 45, hour, so on and so forth. And that way they get used to you and baby steps leaving and you're not just, boom, putting them in their crate, leaving for six hours and they don't know what to do because you haven't done that in over a year, right? So think about that. Think about that a little bit. Um, start to create that, that that structure that you're going to be doing in small baby incremental steps and that way you build them up to it and it's not a big deal once you do leave for that six hours, okay? So creating that sort of false structure or routine or not really false, it's its building upon it, that's gonna go a long way. Look, it's no different than any of my other exercises I talk about. I talk about the front door, right? One of my segments is called the front door. Uh, you can check it out, but in a nutshell, you wanna be able to answer the front door, get your dog to stop barking, have him sit and stay, invite your guests in, let them say hi calmly. That was a quick way to 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 give you what the front door exercise looks like. However, <laughs> however, to get your dog to do that front door exercise, it's going to take you like days of work. I mean, really, it does. It takes days and practice and routine and repetition to get that like five second of sit, stay. Hi, guest. How are you? Release the dog. Say hi. No big deal. It's going to take a long time. So think about that in the same sense of that, uh, of, of you leaving for a long period of time. You need to take the same amount of small steps in time, days, rep, uh, countless repetitions, to get your dog back normal, uh, to get your dog back used to the normal structure and routine of you leaving, of kids going to school, of you going to work, Okay. So it's no different. It's no different. It takes taking it in baby steps and building them up to it. Okay. So that leads us to the next thing. We have to practice this stuff. Okay. Exercise first, create the structure and the routine, and then you need to practice and rinse and repeat this. Okay. Now, another little side tip on rinsing and repeating this, get a webcam, get a webcam, set it up, see what your dog does when you leave. That first time you can watch the, that first 10 minutes, you know, that first time you put them in a crate, the first time you leave the house, you know, you can actually see what they're doing. And that way, if they have a behavioral issue, you can turn right back around and address it and deal with it. Then we can maybe up our exercise or redirect it, you know, from, from outside the crate. There's different ways we can address that. Um, but if you take it in baby steps, most likely you won't have to deal with that. And if you're exercising your dog enough, You won't be dealing with those issues as much. Okay. Now, if you do find you do run into an issue where the dog is getting anxious, take your exercise up more. Okay. Really, when in doubt, up the exercise, up the mental stimulation. That's what you should be doing. Like anytime I've got a dog with anxiety issues, honestly, it always starts with the exercise. It always starts with mental stimulation. It always starts with draining their energy because a dog that you know the dog that's tired is kind of like eh, I don't really feel like being anxious I'm just going to take a nap. <laughs> I mean really that's what kind of happens. So if you find you run into those little walls the answer up the exercise. Okay, really. That that's it. Up the exercise. So you want to start with exercise. We want to start with that walk, start with that structure. Maybe your dog's a little out of shape. Maybe you're a little out of shape. It's okay. Start with a 20-minute walk, guys. Don't don't get out of control here if your dog is not in the best of shape. We want to work them up to it. Start with that 20-minute walk for a couple days, then work it up to a 30-minute walk for a couple days, 45, so on and so forth. Now, of course, know your breed, know their energy levels, know how long of a walk you should be giving, but it starts with the exercise. Okay. Now. That's going to be the beginning layer of our structure, but we want to create a good routine, good structure and a good routine in how we wake up and do our mornings and try to mimic whatever routine you're going to be doing once you get back to work, once the kids go back to school, okay? Once you have that routine under control, you want to take it in baby steps, not leaving your dog for long periods of time if they haven't been used to that in the past year, okay? Making sure you're only leaving for 10 minutes to start with then 20 minutes, 30, 40, so on and so forth, building them up to it. If at any point they do start getting anxious in that process, always remember up the exercise, up the mental stimulation, get them more tired. A tired dog is a happy dog, right? Okay. Now, other side note, don't forget, you can always set up a webcam or two, keep an eye on them. You can see what they're doing. And that way, if you need to address any behavioral issues, well, you can, right? Makes it a lot easier if you actually know what's going on. So, Always, always, always exercise them first, though, guys. I'm telling you, that's going to be the biggest way to solve any of these problems and help facilitate getting your dog back to being, you know, learning to be alone, being okay with being alone, being okay with you guys leaving. Um, I really, I've heard it from a lot of different homes and a lot of different families that there really aren't times (laughs) that the dog is alone anymore. You know, we've got kids home from college. We've got uh, maybe other family in town that's been staying at the house or what. You know, there's all these different scenarios where the house is just not really empty very often. And it hasn't been for months on end, and even for some of these people, for over a year. Okay? So your dog is just, it's, it's not, they're not going to be used to that. They're not going to be used to the change in that routine. Because we have, we've created a routine in the past year, most likely, but it's not gonna be the healthiest routine if we need to leave our dogs alone then. So again, think about these things when you transition them back, try to take baby steps, don't go too fast, don't push it too far, but when in doubt, exercise your dog more, get out there for another walk, right? So if you stick to these things, get yourself in mental and physical shape first, get yourself in a better place mentally. You know, uh, we all we all should probably work on that a bit, myself included, working on it right now. Um, It'll help facilitate getting your dog there a lot easier and a lot faster. So keep these things in mind, put yourself in a good place, put your dog in a good place, and that transition back to normal will be just a little bit smoother. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Dalmatian. The Dalmatian, they're a non-sporting dog, also known as a coach dog, and they come in weighing from 45 to 70 pounds. Now, the Dalmatian is one of the most recognizable breeds in the world. Of course, with that gorgeous spotted coat, it immediately identifies them and catches the eye. Now, under that coat is a very strong, intelligent, and outgoing dog with boundless amounts of energy. Yes, they can be friendly with their families, but aloof of strangers. You know, some of that protective instinct that was bred many, many years ago, it can still be present today. So, very important to socialize and train your dogs from a young age. They can actually be relatively easy to train, but you want to give them plenty of stimulation, give them a job to do. That's what's going to keep these dogs happy and healthy. The dogs were originally bred to run for miles and miles alongside garages, so getting that energy out, it can be a bit of a daunting task. These dogs are definitely not for everyone. Owners, yeah, you should be sure to do your research first, understand the breed and their needs before going out and getting one. Most people do know that deafness can be a trait among Dalmatians, so getting a dog from a quality breeder is very important. Now, bladder or kidney stones can occasionally develop in them, so you want to get with your vet, make sure you're feeding them a quality diet, and that can help to avoid that. As with a lot of dog breeds, we don't know the exact origins of the Dalmatian. They're thought to have originated from the nomadic Romani or Gypsy peoples who traveled all over Europe. The dogs were developed to fill a variety of needs and jobs, Uh, you know, anything from protection as a guard dog to a retriever dog, coaching dogs, and even as circus dogs. The name Dalmatian, it comes from the region in modern-day Croatia called Dalmatia. In England, by the 1800s, the Dalmatian was utilized almost exclusively for coaching. They were taught to run alongside carriages, and you know, they would protect the people inside as well as they'd actually protect the horses too. English nobility. They loved the Dalmatians so much. They gave them fun nicknames. They were also known as the English Coach Dog, the Spotted Dick, and Plum Pudding. Now, they called them Plum Pudding because their coats, you know, with the spots, it actually resembled the traditional English dessert with candied fruits and nuts in it. The specks looked like a Dalmatian. So Plum Pudding, one of those fun nicknames. And, you know, Dalmatians, they their association with firefighters, interestingly enough, began in the 1800s more out of like a necessity, right? Fire engines were still being pulled by horses at this point. So the dogs, natural ability as a coach dog, it became a great fit for the two. The dogs would help clear paths for the firefighters, protect the equipment once they were at the fire, they'd occasionally help to save people, and of course, provide protection to the fire stations themselves once they were turned. Today, some fire stations will still employ Dalmatians, more as maybe as of a, you know, mascot. Uh, And of course, we also know Dalmatians from great movies like Disney's 101 Dalmatians, and we also know them as the dogs that accompany the Budweiser Clydesdale horses. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Boss. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's Queen Victoria's Animal Menagerie. Now, we've all heard of Queen Victoria, of course, the Victorian age, the extravagance, and everything that went with it. And of course, I mean, I mean, come on, any royalty, there's always extravagance associated with it. But Queen Victoria was, uh, well, she loved her animals. She did. She was fond of all animals in general. And you know, it's really neat because she has a special affinity for dogs. Of course, I mean who who doesn't? And she kept very detailed diaries of her dogs' lives, their the the breeding and everything that went along with it. And she was really the first British royal, British nobility, to to do that to keep such detailed track. And that even helped form some of the modern breeds today. She helped refine some of the modern breeds today. And really, we owe the Victorian era, the Victorian age. We owe them a debt of gratitude because a vast majority of dog breeds that existed today did not exist in the pre-Victorian era. So really kind of fascinating stuff from a historical standpoint and just really interesting overall. Now, Queen Victoria did have a little bit of an isolated childhood, and because of that, she tended to befriend animals. And her her first childhood dog was a King Charles Spaniel named Dash, or as she often fondly called him, Dashy. And this, of course, this, this was the beginning of a lifelong obsession with dogs for Queen Victoria. The dogs had their very own royal chambers. They had their own lawns to romp around in and, and kennels at the various palaces and castles that the Queen would visit. And little Dash always accompanied her, as she again detailed in her diaries of all their adventures and even some of the accidents, maybe. Um, But it wasn't only the queen. It wasn't only the queen that enjoyed animals. Prince Albert, he actually had a greyhound named Eos, who Queen Victoria was quite fond of. And at one point, an interesting story, Eos actually suffered a really terrible accident. Now, while he was out with a shooting party at Windsor, Victoria's uncle Ferdinand had a stray shot that ended up going through the dog's chest, striking him in the lung. Amazingly, somehow, I mean really, when you think about it, the time period, they were able to save his life and get him back to normal again. So really cool. Now it wasn't just dogs that the queen loved. As I said, she had an affinity for I mean really she loved all animals in general. And she had an Amazon parrot at one point, she had an African gray parrot, and the African gray became really popular. It had a very extensive vocabulary. It could actually sing a full song in French. And this is my favorite part. This is the best one. When anyone would lift up a glass, the bird would lift its right leg and say, her Majesty Queen Victoria's Good Health. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll, well, I don't know if I really should share that on here. <laughs> I left my legacy at a place I worked by teaching a bird maybe to not say the nicest thing um, <laughs> to certain trainers and they walk by. I'm sure that behavior dissipated by now as it hasn't been strengthened and reinforced over time. But <laughs> it was fun. Uh, we won't get off on that today. Anyway, getting back to it. <laughs> It doesn't just stop with exotic birds. You know, Queen Victoria, she loved all kinds of exotic animals. Now, with the ever-increasing size in the stretch of the British Empire, there were explorers and entrepreneurs that were bringing back wild exotic animals from all over the world. And we're talking like wild exotic animals, lions, hippos, giraffes, you name it, you know? And so, it was not only these entrepreneurs bringing these animals back, it was also other visiting royalty, other wealthy visitors from around the globe. They'd bring animals as gifts for the queen. Now, the queen would put them on loan <laughs> to the local zoos, and of course those zoos ended up caring for them. You got like that, on loan to the zoo, but the zoo's the one caring for them. Um, <laughs> but still, even with her giving a lot of these animals to the zoos, um, there were animals that ended up living on the royal palaces and castles, and made it their home. At different times throughout her reign, the queen kept ostriches, kangaroos, and even a ring-tailed lemur was known to live inside the house and bounce all around. And I mean, ring-tailed lemurs are they are quick. <laughs> so, you know, one interesting story, wild story that I kinda wanted to share with you, and it happened in 1881. Queen Victoria was looking out the window into the deer park, and I mean, after all, what proper queen doesn't have a deer park to gaze out upon from the window? When suddenly a large, dark cat pounced on one of the deer, killed it, right? And it turns out to be her neighbor's jaguar. Because, of course, whose neighbor doesn't have a pet jaguar? So, um... (laughs) After the incident, though, they sent the jaguar off to to a zoo, you know, proper place, so it's not just hunting down the local wildlife, and hey, let's hope it wasn't hunting down some local children as well. Uh, But one has to wonder after the attack on the deer if venison was on the royal menu that evening. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So it's crazy. It really is. It's crazy all the different animals Queen Victoria had, but it's fascinating the the role that she played really in advancing you, you know the really the eugenics projects of, of of breeding dogs and really just I think people's fascination with animals um, you know I was doing some more research and reading into into the, just the time period and animals and um, it was interesting to read that most people back then actually even living in the middle country in England countryside most people were within about like a thirty mile radius of being able to see these wild exotic animals it was quite a normal thing for these animals to be traveling around in shows and circuses and zoos and be on display because you know quite frankly the world had never seen these things they'd never seen these creatures and so it's 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 fascinating to see that you know the average person had actually come up and close with a hippopotamus back in the 1800s and queen victoria did play a role in that she did have a significant role in advancing our our curiosity in animals, our research with animals, and our better, more importantly, our understanding of animals, and she did play a role in the efforts of conservation. Um, and it's it's really just interesting. And again, I mean, I I like history and I like reading about it. But you can go check more out with Queen Victoria and the role she played in advancing our understanding and respect of animals, dogs, um, really just all around neat stuff. The answer to today's trivia question, how old was the world's oldest dog? 29 years. Bluey, the Australian cattle dog lived from 1910 to 1939 and lived to the incredible age of 29 years. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Danielle from Boulder, Colorado. Danielle asks, what dog breeds are hypoallergenic? The answer, Danielle, is really no dog breed is technically hypoallergenic. Uh, Here's how allergies with dogs work. Now, if somebody is allergic to dogs, what they're really allergic to is dog fur dander, right? Majority of dog breeds out there have fur, but there are certain dog breeds that have hair. Um, you know, hair just like you and I, right? We have hair. And here's the easy way to kind of tell the difference, right? Hair keeps growing. You and I, we have to go get our hair cut. If it doesn't, it's going to get really long and out of control. So we have to get our hair cut. Think of a dog breed whose hair has to be cut. Shih Tzus, just top of my head. I had a Shih Tzu as a kid. Uh, We had to have her groomed, right? If we didn't, the hair would get really, really long and it becomes a problem. So that's why they need regular grooming, regular haircuts, because they have hair. Now we go to the other side. Um, I have golden retrievers. Golden retrievers are a prime example of a dog with fur. The fur will actually shed, right? We all know those dogs shed quite a bit. And the reason why is because they have to get rid of all that old fur. It doesn't get cut, it gets shed out. So if a dog's um, coat, if a dog's coat, stops growing, it has a point of length that it stops, it's fur. If it keeps growing, it's hair. So again, most people are going to be allergic to dog fur dander, not dog hair dander. If they were, you know, think about it this way. If they were allergic to dog hair dander, they'd most likely be allergic to hair dander in general. And then they'd be allergic to people (laughs) because we have hair dander. We give off hair dander, but you don't see people running around sneezing all the time because they're allergic to dog fur dander. So when people say it's a hypoallergenic breed, what's actually happening here, in the, look, doodles, right? It's the end dog right now. It's the most popular dog. We're not going to talk about anything other than their coat today. Um, golden doodles, labradoodles. Think about it here. A golden doodle is a golden retriever and a poodle mix. So we have a golden retriever who has fur, and we have a poodle who has hair. Now, a Uh, An allergic person, now again, it also depends, do we have three-fourths poodle and one-fourth golden? If we do, we have very little amount of fur dander genetically going on there, right? So through selective breeding, just like how we create breeds, you can selectively breed a dog that is a mix of the two breeds, but in a way that's going to significantly reduce the amount of fur dander they give off, and therefore someone who's allergic may not be reactive to it. Or you just get a dog with fur, and they won't be allergic to it, right? Poodles, poodles have fur only, just as you know, a purebred poodle. Uh, one of my one of my clients currently, actually, she is a poodle, and part of the reason why they choose the poodle breed is not only do they do they love the breed, but her husband's allergic to fur dander, right? So they get a poodle. So there is no such thing as a true hypoallergenic dog. That, to be honest, guys, hypoallergenic—that word—is used sort of as a marketing term it's used to sell dogs so it's not that it, it's not that the dog is not going to be better for somebody with allergies it will be but know the reason why <laughs> you know what i mean educate yourselves and know the reason why that dog is quote unquote hypoallergenic uh, even though it's not so a little bit of a long answer there but that's the full answer to what dog breeds are hypoallergenic <laughs> Next question. This comes from Taylor from Houston, Texas. Taylor asks, how do you know if you have found the right dog? I like this question. Um, You know, my most recent dog that I've adopted is my Chihuahua, Coco. And I'll be honest, I wasn't looking for a dog when I adopted her, I wasn't. We weren't searching for a dog. We talked about it, my wife and I, we talked about getting a small dog at some point. But it wasn't something that was really on the table at that moment. And I'll tell you the story. It was it was Christmas Eve, and I was heading to the pet store because we were about to head south to go visit my in-laws for Christmas. And we needed to, you know, we need to make sure we had dog food. <laughs> so we knew we were running a little bit low. So, uh, And of course, they weren't going to be open Christmas Day. Hit up the dog, the the you know, the, the pet store. And there was an adoption going on outside the pet store. And look, guys, I, I walk by adoption. I'm at pet stores all the time. I walk by adoptions all the time, and I've had to train, (laughs) I've had to trick myself uh, into not adopting a pet every time I walk by them. No, but I've gotten good at it. Point is, I walk by dogs all the time, and, you know, I I can't adopt them all. I can't save them all, and nobody can, and um, it's fine, you know. Walk in the store, get what you need. It's okay. For whatever reason, and this is the point, Coco spoke to me that day, and it sounds silly, but I don't know why I looked over at her and she, look, she was terrified. She was shaking. She looked miserable. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, she needs to come home with me. I can tell. We can give her a great home. We've talked about getting a smug. It wasn't like this, oh, I need this dog. like this. It was this gut feeling. We had Again, we had talked about it. We had thought about getting a dog. Again, it wasn't like front burner kind of thing. But walking by this dog, there was something that just clicked in my brain, in my head, and maybe in my heart a little bit, I don't know, uh, that said, you need to take this dog home with you. She could end up not in the right house. I could see it, you know. She needed some work. She needed some, some TLC. Um, and, you know, some, really some tough love a little bit as well as some love. And it was this gut feeling that I just knew she needed to come home. And that's how I knew. It's, it's a feeling, honestly. Now, there's another side of it that you can look at. Um, a lot of shelters actually ask, and I love it now, they ask that if you already have a dog, so if let's say if it's a situation where you already have a dog, bring your dog in if the shelter allows it. Let your dog help you choose because that will really kind of help facilitate a smooth transition for your dogs if they hit it off right away. And I think that's the best way to go about it if you already have a dog. Uh, let them help out. Now, of course, I, you need to feel it too. <laughs> but if you already have a dog, I think that's an awesome way to to know that you found the right dog for your pack. But if it's just you, you know, you don't, you, it's just you and your family, just yourself, you don't have a dog to help you out there. It's got to be a feeling. And that's, that's, it's got to be a feeling. And that's to me where it is, where it has to start but then after that feeling logic needs to set in okay when i looked at coco my chihuahua she had a lot of issues i know realistically that we were ready to tackle that stuff and it was going to be it was a long road it was it was a couple month process to to rehabilitate her and that's the point i'm trying to make you need to know that you can handle that dog behaviorally whatever whatever you know baggage it might come with think about that when you're getting a dog too i want your heart to play a role in it and I don't want it to take over that logic goes out the door completely, okay? So it's about finding that balance between it, but it is a gut feeling. You got to feel it in your gut that you know it's the right dog, and then you need to look at it and go, is this going to logically be the right dog for me? Not just in my heart, but in my head. Is this dog going to fit into my lifestyle? Am I going to be able to fit this dog's lifestyle? If this is an active dog. Am I going to fit into its lifestyle? So um, again, a little bit of a long answer there, but to me, there's there's a few things you have to kind of look at when finding the right dog: gut feeling and then a logical decision of are you both best for each other's lives, for each other's lifestyle. Definitely something to think about. <laughs> That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in and helping make Speak a Dogcast reach number 30 in the Pets and Animals category on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't clicked that five-star rating, please stop what you're doing. Go do that right now. It would help me out so much. It goes a long way toward supporting us. Don't forget, have a wonderful week and get out there and walk your dog.